Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Consistent Runner Girls Notable Peeps, the series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. My name's Steph, and you're listening to the Notable Poops podcast. Thanks so much for pushing play and listening to this episode about Tori Miller Duckworth. She's one of my dear friends, and we were able to spend basically every minute of 2009 together that summer. And you might be thinking, Steph, that's a little bit of exaggeration, but seriously, we were together by each other's side the entire summer, and it's because we were serving as missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you aren't familiar with the LDS religion, maybe you've seen missionaries around. Maybe they've knocked on your door or you've seen them riding bikes. But that's what we were doing. We were outside of Cleveland, Ohio, sharing what we believed with these the people there. And, you know, sometimes it was so hard. Sometimes people didn't want to listen and they weren't very nice. But it was such a great experience. And especially having the time that I did with Tori was one of the highlights of my mission. So... Just a little side note, if you ever see the missionaries out, give them glass water. Even if you don't want to listen, I promise it will totally make their day. I wanted to interview Tori because of her experience with her miscarriage and some of her health problems. But as the interview went on, we we started talking about her mission and how she had health problems and had to come home early and some of the emotions that surrounded that. So if you're struggling, you've come home early from a mission or you've had a miscarriage or someone in your life has had a miscarriage, I hope that this episode can help you gain a greater perspective of what that person might be going through. So here's my dear friend, Tori. I hope you guys enjoy and thanks so much for listening. Am I supposed to talk? Yeah, you can talk. (laughs) It's just Miller and Scholl. Yeah, exactly. So we got to spend a whole summer, summer of 2009, together which was such a blast it was a blast and so hard the best part of my mission (laughs) (laughs) seriously well the reason that i wanted to have tori on today is first off your open book but second off you've dealt with some hard things and i was just thinking about it so when we were companions you were super sick a lot of the time yeah it all started probably about Three months into my mission, I started, well, let's be honest, it kind of started in the MTC, but we won't get into that. But it started about three months into the mission, I started having severe stomach pain, where like every single time I would eat, I would just be like crippled over in pain and had no idea why and kind of just dealt with it for the next six months and went to different doctors, tried figuring it out. No one could figure it out. Got to the point where we would be at dinner at members' homes and I would just cripple over in pain and it was so embarrassing. And anyway, it came down to the point where about when I was out about nine months, I ended up coming home because Um, One of the doctors there pretty much told me that my digestive system was shutting down and the only way to get better was lots of rest and a stress-free lifestyle and I definitely wasn't going to get that on a mission. (laughs) They took some biopsies in my stomach, come to find out I had had signs of a parasite, that there had been a parasite 
that my body had actually fought off, but it had just left a lot of damage. And they told me it would take about five years to heal. And because of that, I became sensitive to foods high in fat, sugar, um, all the good gluten, stuff, <laughs> dairy. So I had to stay away from all of that. It destroyed my gallbladder. I had to have my gallbladder removed. It, it was crippling. It was crippling pain. And when I came home, of course, my mom and had set up all the doctor's appointments and they found out a day and a half before I came home. So it was a little surprising to them because I hadn't told them how bad it really was. But um went in, found out that my gut was full of ulcers and bacteria. It's one of those things where I still have no answer. I don't know why things went the way they did or why I've had this and why I still deal with it, but just tell myself I'm on a permanent diet. <laughs> Take it that way. There you go. <laughs> I still have to watch my diet super close and it's just, it still can be crippling at times. You know, when you came in, I, I wasn't really going to go in this direction, but as you were talking, I just was thinking about how for missionaries, a mission is so stressful to mm -hmm. begin with. It but is. then you were, you were sick, but you would like mm -hmm. fight through it. I remember mm -hmm. because I was, I would be like, Miller, if you aren't feeling well, that's, that's okay. We can stay in it. You never wanted to stay in. You weren't just milking it being like, Oh yeah. Like I was saying, like mission is stressful. But then mm -hmm. also I remember when you came home and stories that you talked about with like people treating you mm -hmm. terribly when you came home. Do you want to talk oh. a little bit about that? Yeah, it was crazy because, you know, I mean, not that this makes it right, but I, I kind of thought in my head like, oh, I'm a girl, you know, who doesn't really have all that, didn't have all that pressure to go on a mission. And we still went out, you know, we couldn't go out till we were 21, back in the day because yeah. we're so old. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, like we didn't have to be out there and girls get released honorably no matter what. Um, so I thought for sure, you know, I wouldn't, you know, be treated like a guy. Like I feel like guys come home and they just, no matter what, people jump to conclusions that they weren't worthy, which is so sad and so wrong. But at the same time, I just thought it would be different for me. But no, like I had... Oh, I had a guy come up to me, a young man close to my age, and he was like, yeah, you, you obviously, you just weren't tough enough to finish it out. You couldn't handle it, could you? And I just looked at him and I was like, I just, I didn't even know what to say. I was just kind of like, oh, you jerk, <laughs> you know, like you don't know me. Um, and then I had a old lady, bless her heart. I'll just blame it on the age, but <laughs> she was the grandmother of one of the missionaries I served with and, she pulled me aside one day and said, I sure hope you went out for the same reasons that my granddaughter did and, you know, and that you were at least a good missionary while you were out there because I can't even remember really the exact words. I can't remember. But it was just to the point of like, you obviously weren't as good as my granddaughter and out there for the right reasons if you couldn't finish it sort of a thing. And I was just kind of like, whoa. You know, and I, I had other people say other things. And so, I don't know. I It was it was tough, but it taught me a lot. I think it taught me a lot on being better at not judging. And, I mean, whether someone comes home because 
they're sick or they, it is just too stressful or they aren't worthy. Like, I mean, I have a lot of respect for people that can deal with that and can do it. It's, it's, it's hard no matter what your situation is to come home early. At the same time, right? Didn't a man who came home who was in your singles ward, didn't he take his, his life? He did. Yeah. And so I was thinking about what can family members do to help their, their kid or their brother or sister or whatever that come home early, whatever the reason might mm-hmm. be. Like, how can they help support them and mm-hmm. love them? Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, no, it was really interesting because that young man was actually, he was my age and he was also in my home ward. And so, you know, he came home and he, he struggled. I, you know, I don't know exactly what my ward did or how supportive they were. I don't think anyone was ever rude to him, but I don't think anyone really ever reached out. I'm sure some people did, but mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't, a ward is supposed to be a family, mm-hmm. you know, and we're supposed to treat each other like that. And I just don't think that that happened. And yeah, this young man ended up taking his life and it was heartbreaking and it really, really hit my home ward hard, I think. And it was interesting because about a year later, a other, another young man um, returned home from his mission for kind of similar reasons. And Oh my gosh, the ward came together as a family this time and engulfed this young man and, you know, just didn't judge. People were just kind to him. They, you know, they didn't even have to know what was going on. It was just kind of more like, hey, let's go fishing or, I mean, and I'm not sure exactly what people did, but it was, you know, Treating him like you would your own son, you know, like thinking, okay, what can we do to help to bring him closer, to keep him close to the Savior right now while he's going through this? And he was able to get back out on his mission and to finish, and he's come home since and done well. And I just think the biggest scene these days, and just especially within the culture, it's not the church. It's I think it's a lot of it is the culture. Um, It's just... Not to judge, even if someone's in the wrong, like love them, you know, love them and just be there, listen. Um, you don't even need to know their issues. Just take them out, take them out for ice cream. If you don't know what to say and you know, you don't want to say the wrong thing, um, write them a letter, send someone a letter and just let them know that you're thinking about them, that you love them, that you're there to support them and that maybe, and it's fine to be honest and be like, you know, I don't really know exactly what to say right now and I don't want to say the wrong thing. Just not judging. I think it's a huge, it's the biggest thing. Well, I loved what you said because it is, it's like that elephant in the room. No one knows if they should address it or not, but I loved what you said. If you don't know what to say, just Tell them that, but tell them that you love them, write them a letter mm-hmm. or whatever. And so, yeah, I just remember you, your letters and like talking to you and how big of a struggle it really was. And so I'm glad that we did go in this direction just because if someone has come home from their mission for whatever reason, I yeah. hope that they, they are able to feel like, hey, someone else has done yeah. this too. You know? And I think the biggest thing that like I learned that I could say is that Nothing goes, 
How do I say this? I'm really bad with my words. My husband makes fun of me all the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't ever explain myself. <laughs> me either. Um, you know, life's not easy. And a lot of times things don't go the way that we think. And they don't go the way that, that we plan. Like even when we, you know, in school, we study so hard and the test doesn't go the way that we want it to. Or, you know, we work so hard and do, try to do everything right. We're good community members. We're good churchgoers. And, you know, we serve these missions and we go out for the right reasons and crap happens, you know. But it's just what I want to let people know is I haven't gotten an answer why things went the way they went, why I felt so strongly to go on a mission. And now I'm going to have these health issues probably for the rest of my life. Um, I don't have answers. I don't know. And I think it's okay to ask why, but I think sometimes it's okay just to be okay with it and just trust the Lord. Trust the Lord that, okay, yeah, like that totally stunk, you know, and like that really doesn't seem fair because I was really trying hard and doing my best, but I'm going to trust you that there's a reason for it and I'm just going to move forward and try and stay strong and you know, just press forward because we just, we never know. We never know down the road or in the future what, what might happen. I don't know. No, it's true. And I love what she said that you don't know why, you know, you didn't have those health problems before Mm -mm. and then they, they came from the mission, but but I look at it too, like, you are seriously so tough now after all that. <laughs> well, it was just getting me ready for what was going to happen later in life. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, let's talk about so your home for your mission. Can we hear yours and Taylor's love story? Yeah, sure. Okay, so come home from my mission. It took me about about a year to get back on my feet, um, to get to a good point health-wise where... I wasn't constantly sick all the time and going to freak out some guy, you know. (laughs) My aunt and uncle had had a new baby, so they were blessing their baby. So went to the blessing. And it just so happened that at my aunt and uncle's ward, that day at the blessing, there was a family sitting behind me, and it was a mom and dad and their four daughters. And they had one son, but he was down at BYU, so he wasn't there that day. His dad just happened to notice I wasn't wearing a wedding ring. <laughs> <laughs> what a good scout. <laughs> I know, right? His mom's like, that is so creepy. <laughs> um. Anyway, so he called my uncle. He figured I was with that family. And he called my uncle later on in that week and casually was just kind of like, hey, you want to come play basketball? Oh, who was that really tall girl that walked into church? (laughs) (laughs) And my uncle's like, oh, that's my wife's niece. Um, And his dad was like, oh, okay, so she dating anyone? She's single? And my uncle's like, yeah, actually, I think that, you know, I, I don't think she's dating anyone seriously. And anyway, long story short, they... He gave Taylor's dad my phone number. I had no idea what was going on, neither did Taylor. So Taylor (laughs) comes home for Sunday dinner and sits down, and his dad just throws the phone number his way and says, Hey, you need to call this girl. I told her family you'd call her by Friday. (laughs) 
<laughs> and Taylor was just kind of like, great, I'm never calling this person. <laughs> like, well, and he didn't see a picture of you, so he doesn't know what a babe you are, or else he would be like, sure, right oh, away. <laughs> yeah, such a babe. No. <laughs> totally are. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, he told me he tried to lose my number, like, all during the week, and somehow <laughs> it kept making its way back to his desk. He, like, tries to burn it, and it won't yeah, burn. <laughs> I know. He's, like, literally, he's, like, I would stick it under paper so I just, like, wouldn't see it, and then the next night I'd come home, and it was, like, right there just looking at me. So, anyway, his conscience got to him, and he called me, and I didn't answer, so he was, like, oh, good. So, he left what he thought was just a really short message. I'm pretty sure it went on about six minutes. <laughs> and <laughs> so I got this message and um I was listening to, oh, and before this, my aunt had called and warned me and told me, okay, this boy is going to be calling you. And she was like, but don't worry. I've seen him. He's really tall because I'm six foot, you know, mm-hmm. so my guy's got to be tall. Yeah. Um, he's really tall and he's super handsome. Like, trust me, you'll, you'll be really happy with this. She's, she had never seen him. Oh, she had No, she hadn't. She was just making this up. So <laughs> she was just assuming that he was 6'4", like his dad. And he comes to pick me up. And I'm not going to lie, he was my third blind date that week. So by the time it got to him, I was kind of just like, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. Blind dates are just dumb. Like, no one thinks I'm going to get married, so they're just setting me up with... Anyone and everyone's dog, like, <laughs> but when he opens the door, he, I was like, okay, yeah, he's cute. Yeah. Like, he was handsome, you know? And then I get to the bottom of the stairs and I'm like, who is taller? Me <laughs> or him? <laughs> That's always like awkward. I mean, I don't have him very often since I'm 5'3, but I sometimes I'm like, wait, am I taller than this yeah. person? If so, they're really short. I know, I know. And the best part is later on, you know, we talked about this, but his very first, th- first thoughts were, oh my gosh, she's really cute. Is she taller than me? <laughs> so our thoughts were exactly And then the you same. try to like look at your reflection in the like doors. Oh, yeah. Anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then of course, both of us are, you know, asking our families, okay, so who looks taller? Like after the other one looks, who's taller? You know, kind of fine. He's an inch taller. He's six one. So it's all right. But um, anyway, yeah, so we go on our first date and, we, and then after dinner, he was like, oh, crap, I forgot I have an assignment due at midnight <laughs> for school. <laughs> so anyway, I thought to myself, okay, you know what? I don't know if you really had an assignment, but if anything, <laughs> that was just refreshing. He was fun. He was funny. Like, at least I know there's still good guys out mm-hmm. there. You know, it kind of gave me hope for my future. Um. Well, he called me back the next day. We went out again. The rest is history. We were married a year and two months later. Come to find out that he really does have a lot of homework. <laughs> he does study a lot. So <laughs> that was just really a glimpse into my future. <laughs> yeah, because he's still in school. He's still in school. So he, yeah, we're in our last year of dental school in Maryland. And um, he's getting ready to apply for oral surgery residencies. So we've got another four to six years <laughs> after this one. And we're just... Living the crazy life, having kids during the whole thing, and <laughs> it is stressful, but it's all good stress, so I can't complain. Well, and you have the cutest little kids. Oh, thank you. So you just had twins. I did. I did. 
And yeah. and then, so you have twin boys, and then you have a cute little girl. Yep, the little girl who'll be four in September next month. Crazy. And eight, almost eight-month-old twins. Well, okay, so the reason that I, that I started this interview with you is to talk a little bit about your miscarriage. Because I feel like miscarriage is something that a lot of people don't talk about. It's a lot, yeah. something a lot of, like, I don't really understand how to, like, help someone when they're going through it. And so, yeah. do you want to, was it before Lucy or after? It was after. after. So it was in between Lucy and the twins. Okay. Mm-hmm. My husband was in his second year of, yep, second year of dental school. And we had been trying, and our daughter was a sweet little surprise. So, you know, I'm thinking, man, this is easy, you know. And, of course, it wasn't as easy this time. And then we got, we I got pregnant, and we were super excited, of course, like everyone is. We were about three months into the pregnancy, and I just woke up one morning, and Taylor was at school, and it was just me and my daughter, and I just was cramping so bad. I mean, and pregnancy is never comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, I, some people say they love being pregnant. I don't get it. I'm so <laughs> glad they love being pregnant, but I do not get it. It is just, it's, it's really uncomfortable for me. So I was just thinking like, oh, you know, just normal pregnancy things. And um, three hours went by and the cramping hadn't eased up. And so I called my doctor and she was like, oh, come to the ER. You know, we need to check you out. Those are signs of an atopic pregnancy that can be really dangerous for you. So I was kind of like, oh, but deep down I was just hoping, you know, that everything was okay and I was going to go and things would be fine especially because I had my little family planned out, you know, my kids were going to be two years apart and typical, you know, what you want sort of a thing. And so I dropped my daughter off at my friend's house and no one knew I was pregnant yet, except for um, like our parents. And so I dropped my daughter off and I looked at my friend, I'm like, I think I'm having a miscarriage, like, <laughs> you know, and so she was really sweet, took my little girl for the whole day Went to the hospital, being in the hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> it's more like being in a drug house. Um, <laughs> let's just say it was a really special And you're um, all by experience. yourself. I'm all by myself. My husband's stuck in class. So, you know, he's getting all these texts and calls from me and probably can't even look at his phone. And so, anyway, he finally sees and then he gets over as soon as he can. And luckily the hospital's directly across the street from his school. So he runs over as soon as he can. So as soon as they were taking me up to get um, the ultrasound done, he got there. Since my husband's doing medical stuff, he had taken a radiology class and stuff so he could read what was going on. And his face just kind of, I just kind of saw the life leave his face a little bit. And so I knew that the baby was gone. I just kind of sat there and the Doctor left to go take the ultrasound to the, uh, well, the technician went to go take the radio, the, um, ultrasound to the radiologist. And my husband just said, Do you want to know? And I was just looked at him. I was, I already knew, but I was just like, Yeah. And he's like, There's no heartbeat. And I just, I just lost it. Like I just broke, it broke down, broke into tears, just crying. I, I had no idea that I would feel that way. You know, like I think. I think a lot of times, um, I mean, the, I, like I say, I, I don't want anyone to think that I think I have 
the worst situation or went through the, cause I know there are just harder situations out there and there's worse things that could have happened. It could have been further along, you know, I mean, definitely could have been worse, but you don't realize how quickly you become attached to that little thing that's growing inside of you. You know, the moment you see that positive sign on, on the stick, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's your baby, you know, you're growing another little human being and you love it and you love it with all your heart and you're excited and you start planning your life around it and thinking of what things are going to be like and what needs to be done and what it's going to be like for my little girl to have a sibling and anyway, so it was hard. It was hard on both of us. We both were, were we're just overcome with so many emotions and we both were surprised. And so many people go through this. It's so common, but no one talks about the emotions that come with it, you know? And I had no idea that I would feel the way that I felt. And I had no idea that it would affect my husband the way that it did. You know, I think especially for men, they don't share their feelings a lot. And it was hard. It was hard on him. And it was hard for him to watch me be so sad. And anyway, so my body, um, I guess really wanted to keep that little baby and was not going to get rid of it. So they decided that a DNC was going to need to be done because my body wouldn't get rid of the baby. Baltimore has a bad rep. Okay. And Baltimore is a great place. There's a lot of great things about it, but there is a lot of, um, a lot of what you think about Baltimore is true. So I'm in a room where there are four recliners and each one is separated by a curtain. And we're all just waiting to be taken back into the surgical room. It's just a door that you just go through. It's all right there. It was the craziest thing. It was me and um, three other ladies. I was the only one there for a miscarriage. Everyone else was there for abortions. It was hard. You know, I just, I lost it. I just, I just, I think the emotion of the fact that I had lost my baby and I wanted it had hit me. I was alone. Let my husband come back with me. They made him sit out in the waiting room. So I waited there for three hours till it was my turn (laughs) to be taken back. And all the while I was just listening to these ladies chatting it up on their cell phones, playing their music loud. Like it was no big deal. They're just past feeling. And, you know, and, and there's no way I know, you know, it affected them. I don't, you know, I think they were doing the things they were doing probably not to feel what they were feeling. And I'm not judging because I don't know what their situations were. I don't know what kind of lives, you know, those babies would have been born into. So it's not for me to judge, but I so badly wanted to be like, give me your babies, grow those babies and just give them to me, you know, but my turn came and I went back and they put me out and I woke up, thought everything was fine, was in recovery for an hour and they sent me home. And about a week later, I still just wasn't, wasn't right. Um, something wasn't right. And I called the doctor and they're just kind of like, Oh, well, you know, is this happening? Is this happening? Sort of a thing. And I was like, well, yeah, everything kind of seems normal. I'm just, I'm really like, I feel really sick. I'm in a lot of pain. So my two week checkup comes up. They had left a lot behind. So my uterus was still completely open. Anyway, it, yeah, there's a reason why I was in a lot of pain and I wasn't. (laughs) 
functioning properly. Oh, man. So I had to go back in for another DNC. And this time, my mom had left, so my the ward members were taking care of me. So a really sweet lady dropped me off and stayed until she knew that I was good. And then she left, and then another... Um, sweet lady came to pick me up. And uh, as soon as I got out of the procedure, they, well, this time they couldn't give me as much medicine because I had lost so much blood um, from the time before because things weren't properly working. So I was awake during this one. But at this time, like it, I didn't feel any pain. It was okay. I dealt with it a little more dramatic <laughs> knowing what was happening. So anyway, um, I get that one done, think everything's fine, come out of the procedure and about 10 minutes into it, just pain like I had not felt. And I was just like, oh, like something is wrong, you know? And it happened to be that this day I had this sweet, sweet nurse. I still remember her name. Her name was Sandy. And she had this blonde hair and she was just this 74 year old woman who was still nursing, doing nursing. And she was taking care of me that day. And I swear she was an angel whether she was like a real person or not, like she was my angel that day. And she had been taking care of me. And as soon as I came out in recovery, she made sure I was okay. And I was okay for those first few minutes. So she went to go eat her lunch. And she said, as soon as she sat down for her lunch, she just had the strongest feeling that she needed to come back and check on me. She didn't even touch her lunch. She got back up out of her chair, walked back down to the procedure room and came in. And I was just convulsing in pain. And so the doctor came, the doctor ran over, they started doing ultrasound, come to find out my uterus just opened right back up and was just consuming everything it could. My husband thought everything was fine because I texted him, I'm out. He was headed into an exam. So literally seconds before he entered his exam, I called him on my way into surgery and I just said, hey, things aren't going good. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going back in. And that was all he got. Hung up the phone. He had to go in, take his exam. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. He took that exam pretty fast. <laughs> um, and then he, he came over as soon as he could. I was still in surgery at the time. Anyway. Long story short, actually, that's just really been a long story. I've been <laughs> short, but getting to the end of it, um, I had lost so much blood that I could have no narcotics and no, no pain meds, no sleeping meds. So I couldn't have anything. I felt this whole hour of torture. And everything going on, it gave me some medicine to put me into labor and sent me on my way. So I get home not realizing what they had given me. I was so out of it. Like, I just, I did not know what was going on. And all of a sudden, my body, I get home. My husband gets me in bed. He's got my three-year-old. And at this point, my one of my really good friends and her husband decided to come down to visit us. She ended up. They ended up just taking care of us the whole time. So luckily, they were there to help with my daughter. But all of a sudden, I'm screaming for my husband, saying, I'm in labor. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Like, I'm in full-on labor. 
having the contractions, the labor pain and everything that I felt when I had my daughter, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, well, where's my epidural? This ibuprofen is not going to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) So I went through five more hours of labor at home in bed. Um, and they had to do that to get my uterus to contract to completely close. So then after this, I guess describe your feelings of you've gone through this whole experience that's super traumatic and mm-hmm. super painful. Yeah. You know, at first I was just sad. I was sad that I had, you know, lost my baby and then had to go through all of this. And, and I was told that I could never have another DNC again. So, you know, the doctors just pretty much like, hopefully you don't miscarry again because if you have another DNC, it will cause you to be infertile because there'll, it'll, the more scar tissue you have in the uterus, you know, it causes you to not be able to get pregnant, I guess. The stress of that and just, just the trauma of what my body had gone through. It took me a long time to recover. It was long and it was, it was lonely. I was far from family and friends and, and help. And my husband did all he could, but I mean, he couldn't let his grades slip. I didn't want his grades to slip. We were paying tons of money for him to be at this, you know, in school. And then I had a toddler who still needed me. And it was just, it was a lot. It was one of those things where you're just kind of like, whoa, whoa, like, why now? Why when we're so far away? Like, I just, one of those things where you're like, I, I, why are you giving this to me? You know, I can't handle all of this right now. And once again, wonderful mother, wonderful mother-in-law, you know, came out, jumped right in to help. I thought, I thought my mission would be the hardest thing, <laughs> you know, like I have those issues and now I have these issues and, I had the fear of not having any more children, and um, so I kind of, you know, I, I got a little angry at the Lord at times, and my husband was just always the positive one who was like, you know what, like, it's okay, like, I know, like, I feel it, we're going to be okay, our family's going to grow one way or another, like, it's going to work out, and um And then, you know, I don't know if it was just hormones too, but I was just like, I was just mad. And then I kind of, that part kind of started to calm down and I got permission to start trying again um, after my body had healed for a little while. And of course I was a little frustrated because I was like, oh, now my kids are going to be so far apart. (laughs) It didn't work with (laughs) your plan. Yeah, my plan. I'm like, why do I ever have a plan? It doesn't ever go the way I plan it. I need to stop planning. I think though, even though there was, you know, all of that too, the biggest thing is that my little girl just became a lot sweeter to me. That blessing that I was just lucky to even get that one was just... It opened my eyes. Like, you know, I mean, there's so many people that struggle with not even being able to have one. And here, at least I had one. My time with her just became so much more sweeter. And then the big news hit that my body stopped working. (laughs) I couldn't get pregnant. So luckily, there's medication to start helping you with that. And um, the doctor told me, he was like, just going to warn you, like, you might get some mood swings and they might be mood swings like you've never had before. (laughs) 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 And I talked to other people and they're like, oh yeah, it really, you know, wasn't that bad or whatever. 
well, you know, like, of course, I'm the exception, I guess. And I went psycho. Like, like define psycho. <laughs> like psycho as I would wake up every morning and look at my husband and be like, you are the worst man in this entire world. <laughs> like, I hate my life. And I, I literally, I was just mean. <laughs> and my husband's just staring poor, at me like, poor Taylor. What did I do? We've been asleep the whole night. <laughs> like, you know, seriously, poor Taylor. Like, really? Like, I look back on it now and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, the doctor was not joking that they were mood swings like I probably had never had before. He told me I could do, I think it was like three or four months of it, and then you can't. Yeah, I mean, that's as much as you can do. You can't keep doing it. And what that does is it causes you to ovulate, to drop eggs, whatever. And so, first two months, nothing. <laughs> and then third month, nothing. And then the last month comes along and we have this European cruise, you know, planned. And of course, I'm is the most psycho that I could ever be because I've been on this pill for a long time. <laughs> and yeah, we're just on this beautiful cruise. My husband's trying to enjoy it, yet I'm sitting at a different table every morning for breakfast because I'm mad at him for no reason. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. We're going to redo that cruise, by the way. So, um, anyway, I just, <laughs> I'm, just so I'm sorry. I'm just picturing I, I'm sure you can picture that. I'm sure you can. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so embarrassing. So embarrassing. Well, and the funny thing is, I think being your companion, because we were companions for four and a half months, right? Oh, Was yeah. That it? Like, yeah. I know that you aren't someone that is super moody, you know, like, so that's why it's just so Well, funny. that makes me feel better. No, like, we go along great, so that just makes me yeah. so funny. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm just constantly, you know, thinking that he's evil, which he's done absolutely nothing at all, but try and made me happy and just <laughs> keeps failing. <laughs> and... Anyway, so yeah, so um, we're on this cruise and another day goes by and the next morning he wakes up and he's like, I just had the craziest dream. And he's like, I just had a dream that I was like holding a healthy baby boy. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. And I mean, at this point, I was about four days late. And I was thinking to myself, oh, it's probably nothing. The pill makes that time of the month weird anyway. And so, you know, me and my negative attitude, I was like, well, that's great. You know, yeah, that'd be nice if that ever came true, but it's not going to. <laughs> and I had finished my last set of pills. And so I thought for sure it was over. We weren't going to, you know, do that anymore. That We couldn't afford to do anything else. So that's, it just is what it is. And you know, so I was even more grumpy probably. And anyway, I just, that day we were in Italy walking down a beautiful scene of the Italian villas down to the Mediterranean Sea. The water was sparkling blue. It was sunny. It was perfect. Like just a beautiful day. And we passed a pharmacy. And something inside of me was just like, get in there and get a pregnancy test. And so I just looked at him and I was like, let's go. I need to go get a pregnancy test. Like I, ha I had a little nice moment 
And I was like, you know what? Maybe your dream meant something. And let's just see, you know. So we go in. I'm like, to the Italian guy, you have a stick that you pee on. Like, (laughs) (laughs) sounding like a total idiot. And he probably spoke English. So I probably didn't even need to say that. So anyway, get my pregnancy test and then go pay 10 cents. (laughs) Use the bathroom. Anyway, immediately turns positive. I lost it. My eyes just welled up with tears. I I couldn't believe it. I was just like, what? You know, like, I've been so negative this whole time and so mad at the Lord. And here I am being blessed, you know. So I walk out and I just look at my husband and I was like, I'm pregnant. And his whole family was with us. So his parents and his siblings and their spouses. And I was saying it quietly because obviously I wasn't that far along. And he jumped, like, he jumped like five feet in the air and screamed, we're pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I guess everyone knows now. <laughs> and that joy that was on his face, I, it was, yeah. And probably he was thinking, oh, good. It's the pills and her hormones. Like, I'm really not that bad of a guy. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, it was, I, it was just a tender mercy. It, it was one of those things where it was a perfect day, a beautiful place. Like I, the, after such a long road, rough road, you know, and about almost a year later after the whole thing happened to find out that I was pregnant in this Italian villa on the Mediterranean, you know, it just, it couldn't have been more perfect. And what I didn't tell you guys is that about probably about a week or two before I, we found out we're having twins, my husband had a dream that we had twins. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, and I just was like, Hey, you're crazy. First off, like (laughs) that would never happen to me because I can't handle that. Yeah. Anyway, so it just was, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I just thought, first miscarriage was one baby trying to sneak down without the other or you know (laughs) like I I I felt bad for all the negative feelings and thoughts that I had ever felt because I mean here I was now being blessed with two labor was easy super easy they were two minutes apart pushed three times they came out um but neither one came out breathing Uh, yeah so they so they they, weren't healthy right away no mm -mm, they were big but they weren't they weren't healthy. Um, well, they were healthy. They just but weren't breathing. breathing. Yeah. Yeah. The important thing just wasn't happening. Yeah. So, yeah, um, having a baby in the OR compared to my daughter's birth was, it was crazy. I had four doctors on me um, because I guess when you have multiple, when you have multiples, you just have a higher chance of bleeding more. So I had four doctors plus the NICU doctor just to make sure that the doctors were delivering the preemies right. Um, then I had seven nurses on me. Then each one of my boys had a team of seven Man. from the NICU waiting for them. Um, both my boys came out not breathing. So I didn't get to, you know, it was a glimpse of them as soon as they came out and were being handed off. But I didn't get to hold my boys or really see them. Um, after they were born and they were whisked away quickly and I never heard any cries. I never heard, I didn't hear anything. And all I heard were 
code this and this and two more teams each coming in on my kids. So I knew things weren't great. Those NICU nurses are angels and they were breathing for my boys for a while, you know, doing it themselves, keeping them alive till they got those machines on them. And my husband was walking around between all three of us, not knowing who he should be watching (laughs) or taking care of. And his face was white as a ghost. And he usually is one who takes a million and a half pictures. And I think we got two pictures the whole time um, during that whole thing. So he once again had to witness all the trauma, but he did a good job. And I pretty much just told him, forget me, you know, Mm -hmm. get on them, watch them, you know, and stuff. And so, um, everything went well for me. I was fine. I, I did really well. And they took the boys off to the NICU. They took me and my husband back to our room, recovery room, and had to wait until my epidural wore off before I could go see him. That was torture. Oh, I bet. You know, and um, yeah, but they, after that, finally my epidural wore off and I kept pretending that it was worn off, but obviously <laughs> when they're like, Hey, lift your leg up, I lift my leg up. <laughs> so uh, I, about four hours later, we got to go see him and that's quite the sight seeing a brand new four pound baby hooked up to IVs and monitors and a breathing machine and... I mean, it was, it was hard. It was, it's hard to see. And, you know, you can only stick your hand through the little, the little hole in their mm-hmm. incubator and touch them and had to wait to hold them. But, um, but just once again, just grateful that they were going to, they were going to be okay, you know, and grateful that they were born in a time and place that they were now and not back in the day, you know, it's, Modern medicine is amazing, but, um, yeah, then started our NICU days. Those were hard. How long were they in the NICU? They were in the NICU for four weeks. Uh So actually shorter than I thought they were going to be. They came home two days before my birthday, which was the best birthday present ever. Um, we spent Christmas Eve and Christmas and New Year's Day and Eve with them. And so that was... A whole new thing, you know, and my daughter was kind of like, this is so boring. Why are we here? <laughs> but she was a champ. And, um, so when you finally got to bring him home, was that just the best? That was the best day ever. And here I have three healthy babies. My boys are going to be eight months next week. They're both almost 18 pounds. They're huge. They're tankers. They're monsters. They're healthy. You would never know they were preemies. They caught up quick. Um, so I, I just, yeah, I have nothing to complain about. I'm exhausted. It's a lot of work, <laughs> but I can't complain because no. at least I have it, yeah. you know? Yeah. No. One thing that I left out that I want to share is um, what got me through the NICU is I started every day on my way to the hospital. I would pray <laughs> pretty much the whole way just to be able to survive that day that I would have the strength to get through it, that I would have the emotional stability, um, you know, with leaving my daughter. And then as I would leave the boys, I would pray the whole way back, just asking for the strength. And it it never made it easier. I'm not going to lie. I still would cry, you know, and stuff. But I felt, 
I felt stronger. I felt like, okay, like this is hard, but I can do it, you know? And so, you know, prayer. Well, thanks so much. We've talked about like some deep subjects, I feel like today, like from coming home early from a mission and talking about like what people deal with that and with miscarriage. So thank you for sharing your story. Well, thanks for having me. So, and thanks for being my friend. (laughs) Thanks for being my friend. (laughs) Thanks for being so nice to me on the mission. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. Thanks again for pushing play and listening to this episode. If you want more information about today's guest, head over to www.notablepeeps.com.